either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our films. <laughs> it's so bad. Some big films, some good films, some weird films. A little bit of everything this week as we're back at it. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we're going to check in with supervillains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Bell Riv Prison, joining the super-secret, super-shady Task Force X as they are dropped off at the remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese in The Suicide Squad. Your mission is to destroy every trace of something known only as Project Starfish. Any questions? Starfish is a slang term for a butthole. Think there's any connection? No. No. All right. Let's get it. This is suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. I'm a superhero! Ratatouille, what do you got? Bird. <laughs> now, now it. Stay off the comp. So, The Suicide Squad, that's the sequel to Suicide Squad. Yeah. That's right. It's a big emphasis on the the, just like the Ohio State University. <laughs> <laughs> because four years ago, no, not four, five years ago yeah. now, it was Suicide Squad. Uh, a big disappointment, I think, if you ask us, if you ask a lot of people. But the good news is it's got an overhaul. James Gunn is the writer-director. They've got a big R rating. He takes advantage of that. It's fun, and it's funny, and boy, what a big step up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you are a big fan of the original, they don't disregard that. This no. is this is a sequel. One of the great things about the very opening segment, which in itself is pretty, pretty spectacular, is that what they make clear is that uh, Viola Davis's character... She does this a lot. Oh, yeah. She comes across a lot of very sticky situations globally, and what she does is send in a bunch of, of very bad people to try to fix it, because if they don't, it doesn't matter. They're expendable. And, and, and I loved that they just dive right into that at the beginning of this movie. So you've got some, the good ones, I would say, from the last time, and you dropped a lot of the dead weight characters that were just not interesting the last time around, and you've added... Some new characters that are a lot more interesting, and you've just added such a better vibe and a and a feel for what they're trying to do. The fact that these are all villains, right? They're, they're bad they're people. They're the bad. People. They're very bad people. <laughs> and you know, the other thing that I love is that so is Waller, right? Who is Viola Davis's character? Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, nobody involved is a good dude except for Flag, who is Joel Kinnaman again, and. He has to be happy that he gets to do more than just mope and be lovelorn this time. I mean, he has a pretty fun character this time around. It's such a, a better character all the way around. Everything just just feels better crafted. The characters, the humor, lands the action, and it's so blood spattered. You got that R rating, run with it. And right. boy, he really does. I mean, there are some faces blown off, oh, yeah. and they're just sword and cutting off limbs and oh, oh yeah. it's it's R. It is. It's very R. And this James Gunn and and you know most people know him of course from Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a great movie and to a degree the same kind of fun romp that you have here, but he started off with Trauma and mm. uh and then one of our favorites is Slither, which is an R-rated, very fun, high energy creature feature that he did. And so, you know, before he got into the MCU, he he did splatter horror oh, yeah. comedies. Yeah. 
And so now he kind of br- brings that sensibility to the DCU, and uh, and they are better for it. Yeah, and you're going to see some things that remind you of Guardians of the Galaxy. There is a, a weasel character <laughs> that's going to remind you a little bit of Bradley Cooper's character in Guardians of the Galaxy. But even more so, you've got King Shark, voiced by Sylvester Stallone, and he has a real Groot vibe. He has more of a vocabulary than Groot does, but not a whole lot. Yeah, it's it's... Yeah, he's got a Groot vibe. I mean, and he, he eats more people than Groot oh, does, but he does. he does have kind of a Groot vibe about him. But then, you know, I also don't want to, you know, we haven't really talked at all about, because Harley Quinn is back. Margot Robbie is great as she always is. Stealing scenes, just she's just, you know, she has nailed this character. Oh, yeah. Who is super fun all the time. But the really, the, the main characters in this are, are Bloodsport, who is um, Idris Elba, and John Pe- Cena. As Peacemaker. As Peacemaker. Yeah, it really and, kind of becomes their show yeah. after a while. And of course, as you pointed out when we were talking earlier, Harley Quinn has her own movie. Yeah. And I think now Peacemaker is going to get his own. Uh, I believe uh, that's what I've, what I've heard. Might have to check in with the schlocketeer about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it sort of becomes their show. Not, not, to, not to imply that Harley Quinn is not a big part of the, of the uh, goings-on. She is. But they really take it over. And, and John Cena, we've said it many times before, he's got a lot of charisma, and he really shines in a role like this. He's funny. Yes, and a role where he gets to be unknowingly the butt of all the yeah. jokes. That yeah. he is so good at that, and he that's is. exactly what this character is. And he's great. He's very, very fun. And his vibe is the perfect counterpoint to Elba's vibe, mm-hmm. which is like he just doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to be doing any of this, and he's very just kind of disgusted with everybody. And and I think the two of them make a great. They offset each other really well. There's also the polka dot man. Oh man, it's not only the polka dot man. It's it's one of the things that gives him his his power. Oh, my God. He's got, because, again, as we've talked many times, pretty much every superhero movie, there's daddy issues mm-hmm. all over the place. And there are daddy issues here. Mm-hmm. But especially with his character, there are mommy issues. And, and, man, are they funny. It's inspired what they do with that. You know, it's uh, it, but the movie from beginning to end, it's just it's just nonstop, silly, fun, very, very gory action. I'm hard-pressed to think of anybody really disliking this movie. Even if you were a massive fan of the first movie, I still think you're going to like this movie because, again, it's not trying to replace anything. It's just a sequel. Yeah, we have to say Polka Dot Man is played by David Dasmalchin, who you'll, you'll recognize, you'll recognize him, his face. face. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he's got a, a strange power. It involves Polka Dots, yeah. and, uh, and, but his mother is pretty funny. And also, we have to mention... There's a political statement going on here as well. In the middle of all this fun, there's a definite political statement about America, what we will do, what we won't do, what we will own up to, what we do in secret. Uh, Nice metaphor with rats uh, in the middle of all of this. So it packs a lot of punch in many areas, and we recommend it. Big step up over the first one, and it's in theaters, which is where we saw it. We always are going to recommend, as long as you feel comfortable, big screen is where it's at. Uh, but also, it's on HBO Max. You want to stick around for two extra scenes mm-hmm. um, after the credits. The Stinger is not on par as far as cameos go with the first Suicide Squad, but still it gives you a little clue about what might be coming. Uh, but we liked it. The, the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Next is the first of two musicals this week. A stand-up comedian and his opera singer wife have a two-year-old daughter with a surprising gift. It's Annette. This is my baby. Excuse me a minute. Is nothing sacred to you? 
As you know, I'm not a massive fan of the movie musical. You are not. But uh, if you're going to have a movie music, because the idea of the musical is so weird to me. Why are these people singing? <laughs> so you should just embrace the weirdness, and man, this movie embraces the weirdness. Boy, it really does. This is going to, you're, you're just as liable to like this movie as we did, as hate it, as wonder what I just watched. <laughs> because it is, it is a spectacle of weirdness. It is the, the song, <laughs> the, the music and the story are provided by the Mail Brothers, Ron and Russell from the band Sparks. And they are having a moment they here. They sure are. You know, after just decades of sort of uh, off, the, off the mainstream iconic popularity, if, if that is the thing, they're being nudged into the mainstream. Of course, they just had that Edgar Wright documentary about them, the Sparks Brothers, mm-hmm. and now here they are. They provide the story and the music to this. And then on the other side, the director is Leos Carax, who, holy motors. Yeah. And if there is a more weird movie about what does all this mean than Holy Motors. I don't know if I've seen one. But it's glorious, and if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Yeah, and then you can tell us what it means. (laughs) (laughs) So you put those two things together, and you've got just, it's it's so beautiful. It's fantastic to watch. Hypnotic. The, The set pieces that Carex puts together with this music. It's just, it's transfixing. We haven't even talked about the cast yet. The cast um, is insane. The, the couple is played by Marion Cotillard. She is Anne, the opera singer. And then the, the stand-up comedian, a sort of a in-your-face provocateur stand-up comedian, Henry McHenry, is played by Adam Driver. So, yes, glorious. Yes, um, yeah. You know, they, I mean, they really, they are two of the finest actors working today. Yes, and just seeing them together is worth it. And they, and, and everybody in the cast, they do all their singing live, which brings some intimacy to some, some very uh, intimate moments where they keep singing. Just heads up. And as far as their daughter, Annette, goes, I'm not going to say anything ex- that the... Just that what the synopsis said. She has a surprising gift. And if you do see this movie, try not to know anything else about Annette. Because some people are spoiling it. And and, Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Just don't know anything about Annette. But uh, she has a surprising gift. And um, it's just, man, it's weird. It has these elements where you think you know what it's saying as far as a metaphor goes. Oh, okay, they're talking about self-loathing or they're talking about uh, the relationship between an artist and the audience or, or maybe they're talking about uh, fragile masculinity. You've got these these fragments of possible metaphors all over the place, but they never really land as, as a real resonant whole. And so you're left just kind of uh, grasping at, at what exactly they're trying to say, but still it's just your... Your eyes are just uh, amazed by the way they're saying it. And now, if you like, or if you're familiar at all with Sparks's music, then you know it's a bit idiosyncratic, and it certainly is here, as they provide sometimes whole songs, sometimes just snippets of songs to move it along, as musicals often do. But you've got bits of Star Is Born, you've got some some Sondheim type sensibilities, you've got some Shakespearean tragedy, and then you've got the kitsch of something like a Springfield Community Theater production from The Simpsons. <laughs> they just, all of a sudden, they go all cop rock on you. They're like, what, what's happening? So I, I think that's just an extended way of saying it's weird. Okay, it's weird. But still, it's got moments of magic, and uh, I, I, we did enjoy it, yep. but, but buyer beware. <laughs> and it is out in uh, theaters this week. It's called Annette. Well, how about the next musical, Vivo? 
Sony Picture Animation's first-ever musical adventure featuring all new original songs from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Takes us on an epic adventure to gorgeous and vibrant locations never before seen in animation. It's Vivo. gonna do now? I don't know, but sometimes you gotta improvise. Oh! And she missed. <laughs> we got this, Vivo. Unbreakable bonds, that's what we got. That love, Gabriela, that love lives forever in your heart. Vivo is an adorable little yellow kinkachu. Kinkachu. Yes, not Pikachu and not Capuchin <laughs> Monkey. Okay. Two things I keep wanting to say. A kinkachu, a which kinkachu. is also a honey bear. He lives in Havana, Cuba with his best friend. Uh, and they sing together on the square. They perform. Yeah. And his best friend gets a letter from his long-lost duet partner, who is a massive global superstar. She's about to retire. She wants him to come sing with her, play with her in Miami for her retirement show. And he confides in Vivo that he's always been in love with her, and he even wrote her this love song. Yes. Well, he passes away before he gets to go. And so oh. Vivo decides he's going to bring this song um, to Miami. Yeah. So he has to team up with somebody, and he teams up with this really goofy little girl who dances to her own drummer with a great song, and they go on some adventures in, in Havana, in Key West, nice. uh, in uh, the Everglades, and in Miami. And it, it is eye-popping, it's vibrant, it's glorious, and there is no question that these songs are all written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. There's no question. Yeah, he also provides the voice of Vivo. And also in the voice cast, you've got Zoe Saldana, you've got Brian Tyree Henry, Gloria Estefan, and Michael Rooker. He's got a double shot because That's he's right. also in the Suicide Squad. That's right. And he's a very unmistakable voice in this as well. Yeah, he absolutely is. I remember his, uh, this is a surprise, He's a baddie. And uh, as soon as I heard him talk, I'm like, ooh, we're in trouble. It's Michael Rooker. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just a really charming adventure. It's so well written. The story is really, really well put together. The songs are, that's the thing I kept thinking is that, you know, if you're watching this movie, it's a Netflix movie, you're probably going to get stuck watching it with your kids 300 times. <laughs> and you're probably going to hear these songs for the next year and a half. You could do worse. Yeah. They're very, very it's, like, it's like Hamilton songs for children. I mean, they're really well constructed. They're very clever. They're very catchy. And I just enjoyed everything about this movie. To yeah, be and, it's, with you. and it's very culturally rich as well, diverse and rich, and, and celebratory. It's sort uh, sort of in a way that In the Heights was celebrating this music, this culture, and and uh, taking you to these locales. And, well, and, and the other thing for us personally is that it winds up back in Key West on the Square, which yes, is where we which love is it. where we spend a lot of time yep. when we're on vacation. So it's just. You know, it was just a joyous film. Joyous. And that is on Netflix. Good one for the family. Vivo. Next up, a reclusive man conducts a series of interviews with human souls for a chance to be born. This is Nine Days. You are being considered for the amazing opportunity of life. If you are selected, you will have the chance to be born in a fruitful environment where you can grow, develop, and accomplish. Am I dead? I wouldn't say you're alive or dead. Are you the boss? 
I would say, a cog in the wheel. <laughs> How long is this process? If you make it until the end. Nine days. Well, I know we keep saying it, but what a cast. Yes, what a cast. You've got Winston Duke at the head of this cast. You've got Benedict Wong. You've got Zazie Beetz, Tony Hale, Bill Skarsgård. Uh, round out this ensemble. It's a great ensemble, and it's a really compelling, impressive debut, feature debut, for writer-director Edson Oda is his name, and he really finds a way to give an original take on a familiar theme, especially lately, for obvious reasons. We've seen more than a few movies come out here about appreciating every day, yeah. appreciating your yeah. life, appreciating what, what you have while you have it. And boy, he finds a different way to go about it as you have Will, played by Winston Duke, who's tremendous. He's tremendous in this movie. He is in this outpost of a house. It seems to be in the middle of nowhere, just a bunch of flatlands. And he is conducting interviews. He's a selector. And he's got a vacancy for basically life. And he's interviewing these these people. And at the end of the nine-day process, he will choose one. Now, not all of them will last the whole nine days. He kind of tells people sorry after a few days. But for the ones who make it all the way, it'll be nine days. And he actually is one of the few selectors in this other world that has actually been alive in the real world. And you can sort of get an idea of his time frame because of the technology he relies on, Polaroid cameras, and a lot on VCRs and VHS tapes because he's got a whole bank of monitors where he can see through the eyes of his past selections and the lives they are living. And he uses those monitors as tests for his new group of candidates. He has them watch and give written assignments. He gives them written assignments to react to the lives that they're seeing and things that are happening. But also you find that there was a, a, a troubling thing befell one of his past selections, so now he's doubting how, how wisely he chose that time. So, uh, But he doesn't want to talk about his life experience, and he, he keeps to himself very much, uh, even though his, uh, his assistant, played by Benedict Wong, who has, who has never been alive, tries to get him to come out of his shell a little bit, doesn't do it. It's fascinating. It's just fascinating. And he, as he goes through this selection process, it's so gentle in the way that it delivers this theme. Um, again, the cast is fantastic. It looks great. He's able to, uh, his use of, of not only framing the shot, but lighting gives a real sense of this, uh, this reclusive outpost from another world with all these comfortable trappings that you're that you're familiar with so it's it's otherworldly at the same time that it's comfortable uh, as it moves toward uh, getting a final selection for life so yeah it sounds a little bit like soul right yeah, the uh, sure. the animated but but it's a lot it's a lot heavier and a lot more contemplative and even though again it's going to delve into some some waters that we have seen lately it does have a a lilting air of pretension but when you're taking on such grand concepts like this, it's almost it would almost be more surprising if it doesn't. Yeah. But uh, it's it's worth it. It tries to get you to look at things just look at your really your worldview in a different way and literally because these characters are literally seeing through the eyes of another person. Right. 
And uh, it's really worth it. It's gentle, and it's it's poignant, and it's touching, and it's brilliantly acted. Winston Duke, I think, I, I hope he's remembered come awards time for this. He's great. And it's a really impressive debut for a filmmaker that I think is worth uh, keeping an eye on in the future. And this is called Nine Days. Next up, the story of a flamboyant former hairdresser taking a long walk across a small town to style a dead woman's hair. This is called Swan Song. Patrick Pitsenbarger. It's been years. I'm retired. Rita Parker Sloan passed away. Rita specified that you do her hair and makeup for the funeral. The will makes a provision for services rendered. Oh my God, Pat, is it you? You look so athletic. I'm surprised you still remember me. Who could forget the Liberace of Sandusky? Even though I never really knew you, I want you to know you changed my life. Well, ain't you just the sweetest thing? Pick me. Todd Stevens is a filmmaker from Sandusky, Ohio. He has set this story in Sandusky, Ohio. I grew up 20 minutes away from Sandusky, Ohio, <laughs> and I'm here to tell you they also shot it. And said there's no question about it. And all I kept thinking as I'm watching this movie is, you mean to tell me that Udo Kier and Jennifer Coolidge were in Sandusky and nobody told me? <laughs> yeah, if you're as we've said many times, we are based in Columbus, Ohio, so we know Sandusky well. If you're outside of Ohio, you probably only know Sandusky as the home of Cedar Point. That's right. Which is a fantastic amusement park. It is. But other than that, the town is not known for anything. <laughs> No. You know, what? this movie, it reminded me so much of, because I'm from a small town in Ohio as well, and my dad, when I was a kid, used to have properties that he would rent out. And one of his properties was rented to a guy that ran a hair salon. And his name was Harvey. And the hair salon was called Harvey's Hair Hut. And he was... (laughs) He was every bit as flamboyant of the, as this guy. And after he passed away, my dad had to clean out the property and found some, oh, did he find some photos in the basement. <laughs> but let's move on. So this <laughs> this really kind of hit home. But you're right. Udo Kier, glorious. He is so great. And he plays Mr. Pat. And, uh, you know, he's been in a, in a uh, retirement home. He's been in a nursing home for a very long time, you, you realize. And he's wearing just sweats. And, uh, and Velcro tennis shoes, and he really doesn't ever leave. And the yeah. thing is that the world has evolved without him. And I think that's one of the things that is the most interesting. First of all, number one, this is a remarkable showcase for the talent of Udo Kier. Because it, it, if you don't know the name, you definitely know the face. Oh, yes. And he's almost always a bad guy. And a side player. Yes. Yes, exactly. I'm sure that this is his first lead, his first true lead. And But, he, you know, he's got such a an unusual peculiar presence but he like you know he just even recently he he did um the painted bird i mean he always plays a bad guy and in this he plays just this beautiful glorious gentle soul who is on his feet he's walking through town to pick up what he needs to go style this woman's hair who had at one point been the socialite of sandusky ohio and it's it's linda evans linda evans of all people <laughs> crystal carrington how perfect is that <laughs> And his nemesis, back when he before he was retired, is played by Jennifer Coolidge, and he has to go get some supplies from her, which leads to you know Perfect. like a face to face confrontation. Yeah. It's so 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 much fun. It's such a fun movie to watch. It's just so well, you know. It's such a great showcase for him. But the other thing I think the movie really does really well. It's sort of a 
melancholy like note to the disappearance or the death of fabulousness, mm-hmm. you know, and how as uh, the LBGTQ community has um, found its own voice in the mainstream uh, and and, you know, no longer has to certainly to the degree that they used to you know, find solidarity in small places. Well, that kind of bursting energy has sort of dissipated is what I think the film is saying. Uh, And they talk a lot about the closing of gay bars uh, nationwide and Mm -hmm. how there's just not that kind of, I guess, need for Mm -hmm. that sort of uh, camaraderie and community and solidarity. And Mr. Pat, he was not aware of any of this because he's been away for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that might be the bigger sort of story that the filmmaker is trying to get at and it really is a lovely note about you know what you lose when you gain obviously the gains outweigh the losses but he just i think wants to point out especially at his age what he's seen and and what he's losing but uh, you know and all of that is really great the reason to see it is udo Kier. he's and, utterly wonderful yes and also even as much of on the fringes as this movie might be it's the most mainstream thing that todd stevens has done oh absolutely yeah yeah, and definitely worth worth a look for sure, for just for Udo Kier and for other reasons. Uh, in theaters, we recommend Swan Song. Boy, next up is another strange one this week, a coming-of-age psychological thriller that plays out the unsettling reality of a kid who holds his family captive in a hole in the ground. It's called John and the Hole. Can you tell your mother I'm here? No, she left. This is your life, John. This is what you want to do. This could be who you are. Hi, this is Anna. Hi, this is Anna. Hi, this is Anna. who wrote this, Nicholas Giacoboni, wrote Birdman and The Revenant. And I think that this is a third film that shows that he just really is a master of sort of beautiful and brutal and unusual storytelling. Well, and this takes it even more. If, if anyone who, who thought the ending of Birdman was a bit abstract, this is even more abstract throughout the whole movie. Uh, and we got a chance to see it at Sundance mm-hmm. um, and finally coming out and glad about it. But, yeah, it tells the story of John, who he just seems obsessed in his coming-of-age-ness with becoming an adult. Yes. And what it is like to be an adult. Yes. And he gets the chance to speed up that process by putting his parents and his sister in a hole and pretending that they're gone for a while and just living like an adult. Or like he thinks an adult Like he lives. thinks an adult, <laughs> yeah. And dealing with the neighbors that come by, and he has to think of a story to tell and why he's by himself. And then he just takes money out of the ATM and gives it to his friends. And he's, yeah, and it's, uh, it's strange. You know, and it's funny because that sounds like it could be sort of almost a madcap romp, really, right? This, this is not. No, absolutely not. And uh, Charlie Shotwell plays John just to perfection. Yeah. There is just, there's a tenderness and an iciness about him, and he's just always observing. And it's not just that. I think what I like the most about this, although the situations he gets himself into 
They are chilling and oh. interesting and really well played out. But it's, it's actually the dynamic of his family in the hole that I absolutely yes. loved. Because even when, because they don't know right away that it's him who put them down there. But even when they do. Oh, that, they, that's what's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, they don't turn on each other. And to be honest, they don't really turn on him. Yeah. Um, it's it's a beautiful, weird, comical situation down the hole. But like you said, when he first, well, he has to deal with, he, he invites his friend over. And then a couple of the situations they get into, you think, is this going where I think it's going? Yeah. It's, it's kind of scary. And then when a neighborhood mom comes over, you're like, oh, man, don't do not do that. Uh, but you're right. This The dynamic of the family, especially when they realize that he's the one that put them there and is keeping them there, it's just fascinating. It is fascinating. I mean, the whole movie, it's very unusual. And the, the sort of metaphors that I think they're playing with don't always carry enough weight for you to suspend disbelief for the very specific facts of the film. Yeah, and the family, uh, uh, Michael C. Hall is the dad, uh, Jennifer Ellie is the mom, and then Tessa Farmiga is his sister. And they're great as well. Yes, they are. Uh, the core four there, a, a fantastic uh, ensemble. And uh, But yeah, Charlie Shotwell is, is great because you just, his face just remains kind of blank yeah. as he's just taking it in and you're thinking, oh, what's he planning now yeah. as he carries out this uh, this experiment? Yeah, it's it's a fascinating film. And it's uh, it's uh, director Pasquale Sisto's first feature film. He's primarily a visual artist, mm-hmm. which I think you can see here. The framing in this movie is glorious. Yeah. It's really a beautiful, hypnotic, I'm not going to say it's a, it's not really a bullseye, there are a couple of weaknesses, I think, in the way the story is told, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, real real psychological, I'd even, I'm not so sure it's a thriller, really, um, but it's a psychological drama, psychological yeah. study. It's in theaters and on Prime called John and the Hole. How about a werewolf story? Yes, please. In a rural French town, 20-something Teddy is scratched by an unknown beast and slowly undergoes frightening changes in Teddy. <laughs> This one is on Shudder. It's set in the Pyrenees Mountains of France. And almost always, werewolf movies are metaphorical. The werewolf is almost always a metaphor. And in this case, the metaphor is pretty easy to pick out. And it's almost, for me, a little bit transgressive that that the film kind of wants to make you feel to empathize with this, this character... Um, who clearly represents sort of um, outsider white male rage Mm -hmm. and the havoc that that can wreak. But it works really well. It's uh, it's sometimes comedic. It's always interesting. And it's led by Anthony Bejon, who plays Teddy just perfectly, to a T, absolutely brilliant. And every time after this first scratch... Every time he faces any kind of public humiliation or limitation, suddenly, out of nowhere, he wakes up naked and covered in blood. Um, and it's, yeah, it doesn't have to be a full moon here. No, it does not. Yeah. It definitely does not. But it's, you know, it, it is, it's strange the comedic bent that it takes. It's interesting the, the way the film develops, but it's really a well-made movie, and it is a spectacular central performance. And the uh, dire- directors and writers are Ludovic Bokerma and Zoran Bokerma. Hopefully pronounce those right. Yeah, exactly right, because the werewolf story is uh, almost always, just by its nature, of someone changing into a beast. Go back to the very beginning Mm -hmm. uh, of of the wolf man, that everyone, every every man has evil in him, can be a monster. Um, It's always going to be metaphorical, and uh, this one is on Shudder. 
again, Shutter has some some stuff worth oh, checking yeah. out. Yeah. Got to give them the props. And it's called Teddy. Documentary next, set in 80s and 90s L.A., a couple revolutionized breaking news with their brazen helicopter reporting. Called from the duo's video archive is an L.A. story of a family in turbulence hovering over a city unhinged. It's Whirly Bird. It was not unusual for me to drive 110, 120 miles an hour to get to a news team. And that's when I started thinking about helicopters. The helicopter changed everything. That was when I became the photographer. We owned the skies. They're all for the ride. It's this freight train. It's moving. You can't jump off. You could get hurt. The deck doesn't work. Check your equipment before you go into pursuit. And you weren't even white balanced. We're the first on the scene. OJ Simpson is believed to be in the white Bronco. We had 80 million viewers. In the news business, you forget that what you think of as great is obviously a tragedy. All the trauma that I'd seen for all those years hit me. Oh, my God. Nobody's helping him. You didn't get to see the whole story, and we're going to show it to you this time. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us. Uh, her written review is over at madwolf.com, and she loved it. She was very impressed by it. And it is uh, it was one of those movies that really gives you a glimpse of something that changed everything. Yeah, and if you saw the movie Nightcrawler from a few years ago, great, by the way, it gives you even added perspective yeah. as this is the, the real story of ambulance chasers and the the high that they got from getting the story first not only the main reporter she has now transitioned a uh, zoe tour but back then when this movie is set bob tour was their name and so they had the fever first and then they brought in katie tour and she got the fever as well and they were just obsessed with this and then they took it to a new level getting the helicopter where they were able to fly over the city and get this footage and of course some of the most famous footage they got was of the oj chase yeah and it's an it's an interesting movie because it shows sort of in tandem how that type of reporting changed news maybe for the worse and how that exact same effect was ha- happening to them and their family yeah yeah it's an interesting movie it's a it's a great review you should go over to madwolf.com and read it. Yes, but definitely a recommendation for a documentary in theaters now called Whirlybird. And we'll wrap up with a documentary that does not come with such a glowing recommendation. A groovy mushroom dealer and a man from the fifth dimension journey through Hollywood to find the meaning of Mondo. This is Mondo Hollywoodland. There's a word we've been told. They say you know what it means. Mondo. Mondo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet if you went and saw the Titans, the Weirdos, the Dreamers, you'd find Mondo. Terrific! You want to learn something? Just stop talking. Shut up. Christy Robb got stuck with this one. (laughs) So you can read her review over on MadWolf.com. And it's a takeoff on a very famous sort of cult classic 60s documentary called Mondo Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, which kind of uh, explored the underbelly of Hollywood and the people who are drawn to it and the people who are ruined by it. And this movie, I think, tries to spin it to uh, the way it is today, but it just, none of it works. It doesn't come off well. It doesn't seem insightful. It's certainly not interesting to watch. Yeah, and just to be clear, when we say a man from the fifth dimension, that's not the singing group. (laughs) 
It's it's a man from another dimension. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Christy didn't find much to like in this at all, but you can find out why specifically at manwolf.com. And with that, let's go to another dimension we call the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, checking in as we always do with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, to hip us to the latest studio news, releases, and whatnot. What are you looking at? Before I get to the release date, the uh, the lawsuit thing has continued on. Uh, <laughs> Emma Stone is possibly suing Disney for the exact same reason over Corella now, and apparently Mark Wahlberg is considering going the same to Paramount over Infinite being dropped on Paramount Plus back in June. Uh-huh. So, I think Scarlett Johansson opened the tidal wave on yeah. that stuff. And then, sort of an odd and, and another uh, bit of pandemic fallout, um, STX Films is apparently leveraging their library to pay off a $150 million debt by October so that they can keep going. And I, I think that's just a bit of a snapshot into how the pandemic has affected mid-budget film companies that you know, can usually truck along fine as long as they have a hit or two a year, but mm-hmm. really took it on the chin, you know, over this past year and a half because they don't have the, you know, collateral to fall back on like Disney or Warner Brothers or anyone else does. But moving on from that, Hulu will premiere their John Cena comedy Vacation Friends on August 27th. Also on August 27th, there's the theatrical release of Stephen Daldry's new drama Together. Amazon is releasing Kay Cannon's reimagining of Cinderella on September 3rd. The reason-made drama Mogul Mowgli is also seeing a limited theatrical release on September 3rd. And on September 3rd, Netflix will premiere their post-9-11 drama Worse. If you've ever said to yourself, boy, I really wish the director of Suicide Club and Coldfish would make an Escape from New York riff starring Nicolas Cage, then you're in luck. Um, RLJ Films is unleashing Sion Sono's Prisoners of the Ghost Land on September 17th. We've so seen it! Oh, you have? Yeah, I'm we jealous. saw that. Well, Sundance. Sundance. We saw that virtual Sundance. Yeah. It's Not ne- everybody chose that movie at Sundance to go see, <laughs> we but <did>. we did. <laughs> hey, if, if, I would have I would have gone for that one as well. <laughs> uh, on November 3rd, Netflix is debuting their all-star western, The Harder They Fall, and that cast includes Idris Elba, Regina King, Jonathan Majors, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield, and Zazie Beetz. Yeah. So... Looking That's for, one to look out for. Yeah, the cast is great, and you know what? Every just every so often, I need a good western. You yeah. want a good western? Yeah. And that that so looks. Yeah, I'm interested in that. And then on November 23rd, uh, 1091 Pictures is releasing a documentary about Kevin Smith's life and career called Clerk. That will be a VOD only release. Also on November 23rd, Halle Berry has an MMA sports drama that she also directed called Bruised that will be premiering on Netflix. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of surprised by yeah. that one. Has she snuck up on me. Has she directed before, or would this be the first one? Not that I'm aware of, yeah. but I've never really paid much attention on that front. And then on December 10th, STX is releasing Violence of Action, and that's an action thriller starring Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Jillian Jacobs, Kiefer Sutherland, and Eddie Marzan. So hopefully wow. that'll be pretty good. Yeah, that's another stellar lineup there. And we have a postponement. <laughs> well, this might be a mercy win in the long run, but Paramount has pulled Clifford the Big Red Dog from its September release date. 
They have not given it a new date. Some speculation has been that they pulled it due to the pandemic surging again and won't be giving it a new date until they have a better handle on how all that will pan out. I'm not really buying that. No. Um, I think if the Delta variants were the sole reason, they would also be pulling up, you know, the dates for Jackass Forever, Top Gun 2, the Paw Patrol movie, any other big film they have for the fall. They haven't touched any of those, so I'm guessing Clifford is probably just going to end up being announced as a Paramount Plus release. I heard Clifford peed on the rug. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, Schlecht here. I saw you post something, and I wanted to ask you about it. The the new Venom trailer dropped this week and Mm -hmm. doesn't have a release date on it. And you speculated that that might be because they're worried they're going to push it. Well, it's a red flag. Maybe nothing will come of it. But the fact that there's no date listed in the trailer itself. And last time I checked, if you go to the uh, YouTube link for it, it just says fall. It no longer has the, uh, I believe it's a late September date listed for it. And it's also kind of worth noting that we have yet We've, we've gotten trailers for almost every sizable movie that's coming out for the rest of this year. Even the new Clint Eastwood movie had its trailer drop this week. We do not have trailers for Spider-Man 3 or The Matrix 4. Both are slated for December, and the longer we go on without them, the more I'm thinking that studios are really hedging their bets on whether they want to actually begin the marketing push mm-hmm. for either of those films mm-hmm. before they know if they actually want to put them out this year. Oh, I, yeah, I think that that reasoning makes tons of sense. It's got to be what they're doing. Yeah. I I honestly won't be surprised if I'm on here sometime in the next few weeks uh, dishing out bad news about some postponements, although I don't think it'll be as extreme as it was over the past year and a half, simply because, well, like, take Disney, for instance. You know, they still have, on the Marvel front, Shang-Chi and Eternals coming out this year. Yeah. They don't really control the release of Spider-Man 3. They make those with Sony, but Sony's in charge of that. But I doubt we'll see Shang-Chi or Eternals uprooted simply because they have already shot most of the Marvel movies that are supposed to come out next year. And at this point, they'd just be bottlenecking all of their productions, and it would in turn affect some of the uh, Disney Plus TV show rollout. So even if the variants start really wreaking havoc more than they already are, I suspect they'll just kind of take it on the chin with both of those like they did with Black Widow. Mm. I can't believe it looks like we may be talking about this again. Oh, my. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's a uh, possibility. All right. Well, you'll keep us updated, I'm sure. And you can always get the latest from uh, Daniel. You can follow him at the Schlocketeer. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, boy, we've got some big titles coming out next week. If you love Don't Breathe as much as we did a few years ago, you're looking forward to Don't Breathe 2. It'll come out next weekend. So we'll respect. Yes, Jennifer Hudson as Aretha. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Beckett. Coda. Flesh and Blood. Howling Village. Is that Werewolfy? <laughs> I don't know yet. All right, we'll find out. <laughs> Materna. <laughs> and Buckley's Chance. That's what we've got right now. Could be more. You never know. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week. Suicide Squad. Oh, I'm sorry. The Suicide Squad. That's a big <laughs> one. Annette. It's a head scratcher. Got some other head scratchers uh, this week with, uh, with a good family one, Vivo, as well. So we can always... Keep the conversation going with you. You can find us on Twitter easily at Mad Wolf. And on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And, of course, the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club, always there for you at MadWolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Stay well. We'll talk next week. Until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. 
I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>